In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Caleb Porzio about Livewire, a new library he's working on that lets you write interactive user interfaces using server-side code. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 110. Hey everyone, just a quick reminder, tomorrow, March 15th, is the last day to pre-order a Full Stack Radio t-shirt and sticker pack. Uh, So if you want to pick one of those up, they're $35 shipped anywhere in the world, just head over to shirts.fullstackradio.com. Tomorrow is the last day to buy them. It's a pre-order, but they're not going to be for sale after that. And I'll probably never do this again because it's a big hassle and really expensive to do. But I thought it would be fun and I thought the shirt design was really cool. So I just wanted to get it out there. So again, if you're interested in that, shirts.fullstackradio.com. That's all I got. Enjoy this conversation with Caleb about Livewire. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Wallen, as always, and today I am joined by Caleb Porzio. How's it going, Caleb? It's going. Thanks for uh, coming on the show, man. I am a big fan of your podcast, so it's cool to kind of have a little crossover situation going on here. Right, yes. Very exciting. So the reason I want to have you on the show is um, sort of a recent theme of the podcast has been figuring out how to sort of keep up with the times in terms of building pretty interactive and complex user interfaces in applications and figuring out like what's the best way to do that you know i had my buddy sam on to talk about what is the right way to build an spa to avoid like having a really complex back end and a complex front end because that seems like something everyone wants to avoid then i had jonathan rennick on and we were kind of talking about this approach he's been taking, which is kind of like a spin on turbo links that allows him to do like a full view front end without going like full SPA and API and stuff. And you're kind of playing with an approach that um, tries to solve some of the same problems in terms of how can I get like maximum UI fidelity uh, without sort of having to like split my effort into like all these different worlds. Like how can I just kind of stay in the back end land but still kind of achieve the results that I need to achieve to sort of keep up with the expected demands in the front end world. So I thought it'd be cool to have you on to sort of talk about what you're doing and how it's a little bit different than some of the other things that we've talked about on the podcast recently, figure out kind of what your motivations are behind it, what you kind of did previously, some of the problems you ran into with those approaches and what's kind of led you to where you are now. And then talk about some of the sort of technical details behind how it, what it is and how it works and stuff like that. How's that sound to you? Sounds good. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the, the, the Jonathan Renning podcast, the last one, I just listened to it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much where I've been for the last two years. Um, so that's pretty much where I've landed. I went, uh, you know, started with like full page reload form submission type stuff. Um, then got into where you like sprinkle in jQuery. Yep. Um, then got into view, got hooked, saw that layer casts. Um, where, you know, just got hooked on that data-driven sort of workflow, um, got hooked, introduced it a little bit as sort of a substitute for jQuery. And then it started to like, over time, I think you put it on the last podcast, like view, like it starts to swallow your front end. Yeah. It just like takes over the whole page as like more and more little disconnected pieces of the UI need to be like view enabled. It just kind of grows out from the center it's of the crazy. screen and takes yeah, over. Yeah. Pretty quickly. <laughs> so you start, it's almost like, like the, the feature of view that's this like, 
I forget how he puts it, like transitional framework or I don't know. Like, like a progressive. Uh, progressive, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's he uses. Right, so you can just kind of pop it in. It now, in hindsight, it almost seems like a bug because it, it, like, you, it, it shows you like, hey, you can have the simple functionality and then it just pulls you in and hypnotizes you till your whole blade file returns one single file view component. So you have the full front end build, webpack, everything crazy, and you start Ajaxing everything because you feel like it's the right thing to do. Um, and you're basically building an SPA with server-side routing. Um, and so one of the turning points for me, this is recapping some of uh, like a talk I gave at Laracon, um, but like the turning point for me was a blog post uh, by Jesse Shute at Zangle, where he showed like how like just JSON encoding in props into mm-hmm. that single file view component in your blade file. And, uh, and that, that sort of changed the game for me. And I was like, okay, so I can confidently, instead of Ajaxing all my data, I can I can get it from my controller and just you know, kind of like and just, seed it right into the view. Yeah, and just pipe it right in, and that way, you know, I like and I can write tests that actually, you know, like JSON encode that data because the test will do that. It won't render the view, but your plain Laravel test, you can actually get it. So you can like expand the boundaries of your test so that your feature tests are actually, you know, getting that far. So mm-hmm. anyway, so that was a big um, that that's pretty much how I've been building apps for the past two years is is that that sort of style and that's where jonathan renning's approach comes in where he's like that's cool but there's some pain points i'm gonna make a tool or his you know his approach with that turbo view type thing that makes that really streamlined and removes a lot of that pain yeah totally yeah so so that's pretty much where where i left off as far as last time i built a real laravel application um but with that approach there's still a bunch of uh like hangups i have uh, so the last app I worked on, I used that approach pretty heavily. And one of the biggest things I ran into, well, one, your whole front is still in view. So <laughs> that's like, honestly, I, I'm becoming more and more convinced that this is a, a problem. Like the amount of time I've spent fiddling with view and dealing with all the complexity of a full view front end for what? Like when you ask yourself for what, it's I think the answer is kind of silly sometimes, you know? So, um, okay. I'm curious what like the actual pain points that are for you like what elements of like using view basically to write your html feels like sure i wish i was just doing this in blade instead right okay so for starters you don't have php um so you can't use any of the blade helpers so ziggy we came up with that on the podcast we wrote ziggy it's this little laravel package where you can use laravel's routing helper um so if you're using named routes you can use that in javascript and access those names route so um, that that's one big pain point that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, so just not having access to PHP, but the complexity of of having a full Webpack bundle, Laravel Mix makes it way easier. But when you're when you're working in a real application, you you know like it. There's you always have to go deeper. There's always like weird stuff that you can't just stick with Laravel Mix. You have to drop down to a Webpack config, and then you have to do a Webpack deep dive. And then, like, you, you can't, like, Blade has includes, so you can just include a file, right? Like, Vue doesn't have includes. It has components. Yeah. And components have, right, props and everything. And you use vModel with a component, but then, like, you want to make, like, instead of wrapping, okay, if you're going to wrap an input text element, right, yeah. in Blade, you make an include or a component for your input text element that you can reuse. Sure. Right? And share it around. When you're in Vue, you make a component for that, like input text component, right? That's your own custom component. But the Vue way, you use vModel to bind that data. So you get the value of that text element into your Vue data, right? 
And to do that, you, you have to kind of open up the innards and pass in, like in your input text component, you have to receive in the data as a prop through the value attribute. Yep. And then you have to emit an input event. Yeah, because right? you have like a double layer of vModel happening as soon as you like wrap the input in like an extra right. kind of component, which I don't know that that's necessarily mandatory unless you need like the extra element because you want to put a label on there by default or something like that. Um, what, what what part is not mandatory? Like if you're just wrapping an input as a component and the input is the only tag, there's no reason why that can't be... Actually, no, you're right. You still need to do the double V model thing because you need even to admit if, the Yeah, you're right. So even if the input is the only piece of the template, you still need to accept the value prop. Set up the V model. Actually, you can't even set up a V model on the input in the component anymore. Like basically V model gets thrown out the window as soon as you wrap it and you have to kind of drop out. Right. To the, you have to Yeah, the you then have to apply props. that same yes, the same listening for the input event. And then it, when you're listening for the input event on the actual DOM input element in your wrapped component, mm -hmm. you can't just emit like so let's say you're doing an inline and you do money sign emit input, right? To like forward that input of like event backup. Yeah. If you do that and you forward the event, I believe it's like event.target.value when yeah. it's on a raw DOM element. Yeah. But then when you're on a component, it's just event. It's just the value. Because it's just yeah. the data. Yep. So these are like just in this little conversation and wrapping an input element. And this isn't to mention <laughs> actually if you have like a div and a label and you don't want the props like from your parent component, you want to forward the attributes to a different element. So you have yeah, to block so like the, the classes go to the input instead of to the wrapping div or something like that. Exactly. So you have to like dig and find how to set it to not inherit attributes and then forward them. And then maybe you want to reuse a bunch of that. Like you have a div with a label and an input. That's your component. And you want to make one for input checkbox and input text area. When you get to text area, you know, you want to reuse like your div and your label, but you want to just swap out the text thing. So you might like do a nasty conditional or you might do some higher order render you know what i'm saying like it's yeah. just it's absolutely there's bonkers. a lot there's a lot to know for sure there's yeah. a lot to know all for what you know sometimes yeah but oftentimes i i ask myself like whoa but then what am i doing what's the for? alternative in blade land like v there's no data binding when you're in blade there's no data binding right yeah, right. So the alternative, right, the alternative <laughs> right now is a form submission. <laughs> yeah, which sometimes is the right way to go. Yeah. So just so, keeping, the, just holding the state in the DOM is what you mean, basically, as like the alternative, and that is a lot of the time simpler. It's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, and Ajaxing everything has its own. You know, like it just sort of, I think you start doing Axios by default and not doing form submissions. Yep. So you enter into that world of like, how do you handle error responses from Axios? And a lot of people, myself, I'll just speak for myself, I don't handle that very well. Like I could sit down, make it a global Axios interceptor to intercept like validation errors and do something smart and global with it. But I write a lot of catch statements and like write specific stuff. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah, I think like what you're saying to me, it feels like um, a similar analogy. Anyways, it's also in the front end world is kind of like to authentication and like an SPA. Like if you're trying to build an, a full SPA client with like an API and they're on 
different domains even or you know some weird thing is going on you have to figure out okay well i can't just use cookie authentication so i gotta use this token thing and maybe there's like security things that i gotta worry about with the token and maybe i'm gonna use like jwt tokens and then i gotta worry about maintaining a blacklist if i ever want to revoke tokens and all this stuff and you get like so far down that rabbit hole and eventually you get to a point where you just think to yourself like wait a minute like why is this all worth it like why am i not just like using cookie auth on a on a server rendered rails or laravel app and like all these problems kind of vanish so i kind of feel like that's like a similar a similar sort of like realization yeah um, that it sounds like like the premise just isn't always there which is kind of insanity and it probably exposes something about uh the developer or at least my mindset where you just kind of automatically inherit mountains of complexity for for some ideal of like a smooth UI or a perfect data driven, you know, front end. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's, that, that's number one, uh, the first problem with, Mm -hmm. with, with that approach. Problem number two with that approach with, with, I believe the best, the best way of the best, like hybrid of that approach, which is like the Jonathan Renink approach, um, the embrace the backend type thing, um, deeply, deeply nested pro or components so if you have like a, a view component for your whole page yeah and in reality that view component has a bunch of children components and like so deep down they need some pieces of data and yep. the, the the like spa e type way would be if you're not using like vuex global store they might grab their own data from ajax sure. um, with the prop passing down you end up passing data through uh components that aren't really yeah. concerned about it so you kind of like drill a bunch of props through and you have yeah, like your prop drilling all yep. these components in the middle that need to expect props that they don't actually use but their children use and yeah exactly so you so you have and those prop lists are huge and so like with jonathan's approach it saves the initial prop list in your blade so his yeah you know that that's awesome because uh, that was one of the pain points that he totally hit on um but for the ones inside view you still have to list them all out or you're not declaring each one and you're just passing in some object through yeah. down. And so there are for- other approaches too. Like with view, there's um, the provide inject API, which is right. like a yep. way to do kind of uh, sneaky global data in a component tree, kind of like reacts context. And I think there's like a, a component driven version of that coming for view three too. I only know nice. because I'm view elite and on the secret <laughs> view three repo. Nice. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. There's uh yeah, it's a I mean, I guess with Blade, you would just expect that there's global data in the view or I mean, with Blade it's different. With Blade, you just don't do as much slicing and dicing of your UI typically. Yeah. Like right. there's a partials here and there, but you end up with bigger chunks of HTML in a single file than you typically do using like a really component-driven framework that's trying to that kind of like puts this seed in your head that like every little thing should be its own single file component, which right. has some benefits, but also has some challenges or introduces some complexity, kind of like you've been alluding to. Sure. Yeah. So so those are the 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 pain points um, for me, and with those the prop drilling, I ended up uh, the pain point drove me to like a global store, and then when you're in like Vuex, then it's that whole world of complexity that's you know just on to add on top of it all so yeah very um, so yeah true so 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 am i characterizing your opinion correctly by saying like basically you've gotten to a point 
where it kind of feels like you were swallowed up in all this complexity and eventually you just kind of realize like what am I actually trying to get out of this again and it's like I want to be able to add another text field underneath the previous one when I hit a like add new to do button or something (laughs) and (laughs) and it's like Okay, yeah. remind me again, like why, I how I got, in. how I got to this situation, just to be able to do something that seems like so simple. Like I had to throw away so many existing tools and patterns, and like embrace all these, all this incidental complexity, just to be able to do something that seems so simple. Does this, is this really how it has to be? Yep, and and we still don't have a good way to test. You know, there's no great way to test all that that view front end stuff. Yeah. And that's actually a, a really good point because I've never even played with view testing because the fact that it just kind of seems like, uh, this seems like hell to even get I've, into. And <laughs> it's not even the fault of view. Honestly, it's, um, it's just like in general, I've always hated like testing interfaces, you know what I mean? Like, like sure. user interfaces, like trying to do yeah. like clicking around and stuff like that. It's always just kind of felt like brittle and whatever i want to i like to just test data when i can like things that are just really clear cut where i can prove that the system is kind of working as expected and then for ui stuff my mentality has kind of been like anytime i'm working on a ui i have the browser open because like i want to feel the interactions and see if like the design is intuitive in terms of like it makes sense that when i click this this should happen and a lot of that stuff i can't figure out in a text editor i have to like play with it anyways so it's always felt to me like there's been less risk in not testing the UI than there is in the back end because if I change something that's going to break the UI, I'm typically going to know because the UI stuff tends to be a lot more localized than like, sure. oh, I'm changing some header in the back end and it messes up six endpoints or something. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. I, I hear you there. The front end testing has sort of been a holy grail and I, I felt pretty close to being able to, I felt pretty close to having a useful front end test suite at times, but I, I always kind of back down from it and go, no, it's just either too much cost in like selenium type testing or uh, in running them and whatnot. And then, or maintaining these front end unit tests, you know, it's just hard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. Yeah. Interesting. So all that to say, you are playing with a different approach now. So what is this approach what kind of inspired you to explore it and what is kind of the the story there yeah so i'm calling it live wire and it came out of well i guess the the priming for live wire was um dhh's like server rendered javascript where he uh he and i think this is kind of a stimulus pattern i i'm i'm sure i'm not verbalizing it well enough but basically the idea is he's like well instead of passing instead of firing off an ajax request and getting json back and doing something with it what if we got actual html back like rendered html from javascript and then sort of hot swapped like the dom that's in the browser and then the dom we just got back from the ajax request mm-hmm. um, and you can do some really interesting things with that yeah. And that that was a light bulb for me. As soon as I saw that, I was like, "Whoa!" I actually have this this um, package on GitHub that has, I think, four or five stars now, called View Fetch HTML. It does <laughs> nice. this for View, so you can just grab HTML and put it into View. But but that I think that was the primer for me that I went, "Whoa!" You can do some crazy Ajaxy JavaScript UI smooth stuff and get actual HTML back from yeah. you know. And so anyway, that, that was the priming. And then 
that blog post, uh, Chris McCord, um, the, the creator of, uh, Elixir, um, or sorry, Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, for the Elixir language. And he, he put out a blog post and I think it was the keynote at Elixir Conf, um, demoing this, he called it Phoenix live view. And it's this real time front end, back end melding, uh, framework that kind of blows your mind. And basically the gist is he, he had what looked to me like I sort of translated it in my brain as a blade view, but everything was all mixed up. Like where I would write an event listener in view and then fire an Ajax request, his event listeners seemed to be able to like manipulate backend code by themselves, you know, like somehow the, his front end had access to the back end and all the what the wires yeah. were taken care of. So it's like, you can almost imagine there's like a local or sorry, like an instance variable in your controller. That's like in PHP, maybe it's like private count equals zero. And on the front end in JavaScript, you're somehow incrementing this counter that's exactly. like being stored in PHP and the front end is like reacting to that. And it's nuts. Yes, exactly that. Um, and so they're using WebSockets and Elixir, come to find out, is really well suited for this sort of thing. And PHP is not well suited <laughs> for this sort of thing. But that that night, I, I just decided to like whip t- together like, um, like a, a proof, proof of, concept. of concept. Yeah. And so I made this very simple thing. Um, that it's like a long running PHP process. And it just responded to a WebSocket request, but it could be an Ajax request and uh, and re-rendered uh, it, it itself. So I don't, I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but let's say you have um, a listener for an event, like a button click on the front end. And yep. the listener fires some WebSocket request to a long-running PHP instance that says, hey, grab this actual, like, runtime object out of a store somewhere mm-hmm. and run this method on it and then re re get the output. So let's say it returns a blade view, re-render that blade view with the new data that you have and then passes that DOM back to the front end and then the front end patches it in. Um, and yeah, so that, that, that's sort of how I implement it in PHP and it worked and it was pretty crazy. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Cloudinary. So you've probably heard me talk about Cloudinary on the show before. It truly is just the absolute best way to host images and media for your web apps. It's a truly fantastic service. But what I want to talk about this week in specific is that on May 1st and 2nd, Cloudinary is hosting the third annual ImageCon in San Francisco, California at the iconic Palace Hotel. So if you aren't familiar with ImageCon, it's the ultimate event for developers who work with rich media and includes talks on everything from the next generation of image formats being discussed by the JPEG XL committee to deep dives into performance optimization in media in the age of progressive web apps. It's a multi-day conference and it has a full day of pre-conference training covering Cloudinary fundamentals and then another day with 12 different workshops that dive into all sorts of advanced Cloudinary capabilities. So if you're interested in checking out the conference, they have early bird pricing going on through till April 1st where you can save 100 bucks on a conference pass and if you use the coupon code fullstackradio15 at checkout you can actually save an additional 15% off. Cloudinary was also kind enough to give me one free ticket so if you're in San Francisco and want to check out this conference for free the first person to email me and ask me for the ticket will get a coupon code that they can use to attend the conference for free. So thanks as always to Cloudinary for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. Again, it's an awesome service. Check it out if you haven't already. Back to the show. So I guess 
I'm trying to get myself into a place where I am as new to this idea as possible because I've right, explored yeah. like the Phoenix Live View stuff a little bit and had like similar reaction to you like whoa this is pretty interesting and I think like the the main question that I have that um, probably a lot of other people would be wondering and I'm sure you've run into is and you kind of alluded to it Phoenix and Elixir are like very high performance environments right like that's like one of the biggest selling points of Elixir is that one server can run like three million users at the same time in like a chat room and it's like effortless like there's like some lore out there about like how few servers like WhatsApp is able to run on for their oh, really? like entire global system because it's written in Erlang, which is what like the Elixir is, is compiles right. down for the Erlang VM, right? So the biggest question is like you said, PHP is not really designed to make this work in a straightforward way yeah. or to, in a reliable way. So what did you run into like testing that and playing with that and yeah where have you kind of landed at first when i was going about it i thought you know i don't even care if it doesn't work at all if i can make a compelling enough use case for this like if i like we'll we'll figure it out we'll figure out some implementation we'll we'll make it work if if this really is sort of the silver bullet that that can save us all from this javascript hell um so my first goal was getting like so i I wired up that basic thing and then and it was all just locally i didn't you know it could probably handle like 50 connections tops or something like that and uh so so my first goal was that and there was this low level fear in the back of my mind that's like okay this could all just be invalidated when i put this out there and somebody goes oh that's cool but you know we can't ship it anywhere and we can't use it in anything so it's useless um, so I dug pretty far into what's what's out there for long running PHP processes mm-hmm. and responding to them, um, like concurrent PHP. And there's uh, React PHP is the really popular one that uh, that has like an event loop. Um, so for concurrent PHP, React's really cool. Uh, Ratchet is a project that um, like it do, it responds to WebSockets. It's like a WebSocket server, really easy way to get a WebSocket server, and it uses React underneath it. Um, and then there's another one, Swool, that's actually a PHP extension. So you have to like peckle install Swool. Um, but they're both like th- those to me, I don't know. Those were the big sort of concurrent PHP offerings. Okay. But they still have this problem that like every time a user connects to the backend over a WebSocket and they have this Livewire instance that they're sort of, you know, sending stuff to and receiving HTML back they're they have an open wire like they have an open connection mm-hmm. where normally when you're using ajax it's a full like the whole process gets created and destroyed every time that request gets sent and responded yeah so there's just this this bigger mate this bigger overhead and i think by default uh, like 1024 is the max connections in um in in i don't know exactly what that connection is from nginx probably i don't know um but anyway there's ways to bust through those connections and the spotsy guys they have a laravel websockets package and they have this whole page on scaling it and they've been able to get like quite a few connections again i mean it's it's just harder than than elixir um or beam the the vm but um but they're able to scale it pretty big and so if anybody's interested in like the the potential for long-running websocket connections and scalability spotsy has a package called laravel websockets and they kind of go through like here's all the configuration you can do to really push the limits of this 
Interesting. Yeah. So your discovery in general was that like, yes, this is going to be harder in PHP, but I am not dissuaded. I have yet to run into any particular like project shattering of discovery that has made this not seem worth pursuing. So sort of, I think that that was a midpoint for me. <laughs> and then, and then I hit this real low point when I realized I, so I deployed it to a digital ocean droplet and I'd put in way too much work in this project before to, to be this let down. So I was kind of setting myself up and I deployed it to a digital ocean droplet and I was getting like seven millisecond response times in over web sockets, which is yeah. plenty. And, and then I was getting like 50 maybe, um, which is still pretty fast, but I'm, I'm the only person connecting to a digital ocean droplet. And I don't know, I just had the sinking feeling and I was pretty, pretty bummed about it. Um, and then I, I went away and, and, uh, and I had this idea, like I, I was pretty discouraged, but, um, but later on I, I had this idea for like a specific feature in Livewire that would allow you to hook into its waiting state and easily make like loading spinners and stuff to like display loading state. And so it was kind of this, this aha moment. Um, I actually wrote, uh, an, an Ajax driver instead of WebSockets okay. and just started using that. And then, so I sort of changed my position and went, wait a minute, this whole like theory could work with Ajax requests. So you don't need any server WebSocket infrastructure. You're just, your connections just wouldn't be as fast, but you're already accepting that with Vue. Like maybe not the real time stuff, but with a lot of stuff, with a lot of data transfer, you're still accepting Ajax level speeds. You just need a way to express it on your front end. And if I make a really cool like uh you like um api that you can easily declaratively hook into loading states of different parts of the page then you can sort of manage it and and build it as like almost an expectation does that make sense that sort of change in viewpoint i think so yeah i think the part that i would be worried about again is like like you say like for stuff that's involving that wherever you would have had to make an ajax request sure who cares that the this version of it is making an ajax request too it's more like the stuff where it's like I've implemented a custom checkbox yep. in view that doesn't actually use like checkbox markup or something, but just uses like local state to manage right. whether it's checked or not. And now like every time I click that, like an Ajax request has to happen. But I think the reality is like with your approach, those are the sorts of things you just wouldn't build on the front end that yeah, way so you, like you would either the, you, would, you would do it with css the way you would have done it right with a you server would either rendered. Push, push the limits of the existing html css tools and mm-hmm. checkbox is one of them that you can totally do with just html and css custom checkboxes yeah um but for those little ui components for real-time interaction stuff like an amount slider let's say or something like that you could still have a javascript uh ui component you, I would just, you would just have to hook into like in TurboLinks, like TurboLinks gives you hooks. That's like, Hey, do you want to preserve this element? So we don't clobber your JavaScript or you can hook into the, the, when it's available. Um, and so Livewire would just provide you hooks that say, you know, here, here's, here's a hook for when a new element's available, run like a query on it and then attach a listener and, you know, manipulate it in real time. Yeah. Okay. So I think what would kind of be interesting to get into for people is to talk through maybe like a real world example of how you would use this to build something like pretty common and simple and what the kind of pieces are and what places and kind of how it's actually working and trying to build the right mental model for it. So in my head, I'm thinking like maybe a good example 
is like a button that opens a drop down right underneath the button. You know what I mean? Okay. The simplest possible thing I could think of. You click a button, yeah. it opens a little element on the screen. You click the button again and it closes it. Yeah. So what is our first step in live wireland if that's what we want to make? Yeah. So the, the way of, um, so LiveWire 2 is a progressive framework. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can just pop in like a like sprinkle in a chunk of LiveWire on an existing page, or you can hijack a whole page and make it all LiveWire. So for this okay. example, let's just say that we want to replace. We have a normal Laravel app that returns a view, and there's a button, and you want yeah. to replace that button with a LiveWire component that has all its reactivity stuff, just like you would with View. Right. Except it's all in PHP now. That's Except it's all in like PHP. The, that's yeah. the selling point. Yeah. Right. Yep. So in your blade file, you have your button tag. And instead of that, you would have a live wire directive. So at live wire, and then you yep. pass into it an object like a, or a class, um, which is your live wire component class, just like a controller kind of. So you so think a, cl- of, a class like a, you know, like a, like a drop down colon colon class like string yep. name for a yes, class that sort of straight thing. Up. Gotcha. There, there's extra um, ways if if that if that's not cool with you like namespacing in your view. There's other ways to register sure. aliases. But, but generally, yeah, it's just like an identifier for the component. It's just, right exactly. Yep. Um, so then in the class itself, you would have uh, a render function or render method, and okay. think of that like the method in a controller. Its job is to return a blade view. Okay. Um, so you'd have one render method that would return. You could use the blade helper or the view helper. So return view and then pass in the blade file. And then. And just, it, so, just so we're all on the same page here, we're talking view, V-I-E-W view. <laughs> right? True. I hate that. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So then in that, that uh, V-I-E-W, you would have your button tag there. Okay. That gets so, rendered by so this is like a partial that you're returning essentially. So yeah, exactly. directory structure wise, you might be thinking like resources, partials or resources like live wire. And then underneath that, there's like a button drop down dot blade dot PHP file. Yep. And that's 100%. just like a regular old blade partial. And you're just returning that kind of instantiated view or whatever using sure. the view function from the render function in the component class. Right. So in that in that component class, or sorry, in that component, the button component, the state we need to track is show the dropdown or not. And in okay. view, you'd have a little piece of data in your data object that would say like, um, like dropdown is or visible. False or yeah, something open like true, that. right? Yeah. So open true or false. Say that is open true or false. And uh, and then it would and then in your your template in in view v u e you would have um, v if is open and then. In that, you would have all the DOM, the markup, right? So in LiveWire, you would have your button tag, and then under it, you would use, um, let me back up one step. The data in view, you you would establish is open as a data property. In LiveWire, it would be a public property on the class, on the component class. Okay. So a plain old PHP class property called is open. Conceptually maps to how you might think about how, like, jobs or mailables or other stuff in laravel yes, works totally. like very common pattern in laravel is like you have instances of these things and stuff that's public properties is like automatically visible in different places and stuff like that straight up so think mailable totally there's a public property and it's available to the view okay um so then in your view now you're just using blade so you can say at if money sign is open and then put in the markup for it 
Interesting. So something I want to point out is that my expectation was that there was going to be like new um, directives or new funkiness for this. Like I was thinking it would be like Livewire if or something. You know what I no, mean? Because like the I'm only... thinking in my I'm thinking in Vue.js brain. You know where it's like right. oh, there's always like new syntax when it comes to being able to show this stuff. But the, in your the... case, like conceptually, you're returning a static rendered template, yes. right? And it's processed on the server with it all that information just using regular old blade stuff straight up and you just care about what comes out at the end of the day so you just use regular old blade features if you want to do that sort of thing yeah the 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 caveat is that there are directives for listening for events sure of course yeah because right what other choice do you have so on your button the the syntax where in view it would be button at click equals and then you would pass in the method or whatever yep. in live wire it's whatever whatever we want it to be right now it's wire colon <laughs> click and okay. then you you pass in uh this a string that is a, a method name uh like the, the api we can make it whatever we want so it's still sure. kind of up in the air yeah, yeah, but yeah. what i have right now is let's assume that you have a method in your component class called toggle dropdown yep. that just sets the public property to its inverse and then in your in your markup you'd have on the button you'd have wire colon click equals uh, and then the plain string toggle toggle uh, drop down yeah got it and then live wire would handle the rest it would hear the click and, and then it would do its stuff got it seems straightforward enough okay so i think the next interesting piece to talk about in terms of helping people understand like what even happens to make this work <laughs> is um what's happening on the front end so my first thought and like expectation is that there must be some sort of live wire javascript component totally and i mean yeah. component in in the sense of like piece of your app not like you know component as in ui component but there's some javascript file or some thing you pull in from npm that you have to make sure is in your app.js file or whatever as part of your bundle that kind of makes the page like live wire aware or whatever yep. uh, am i right yeah yeah totally Okay, so you send this first page back to the user. My first question, I guess, is when that HTML comes back from the controller to the user on like the very first render, like the right-click view source render, is the component's first initial state of HTML there? Like the render function has run once on the server for that component? Yes, which is beautiful because there's no blip like there is in anything else. Yeah. And it's it's straight up like if you never interact with a click or anything and you have a bunch of liveware components, it's just PHP and Blade. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Gotcha. So like the if you were to for some stupid reason write your entire UI as liveware components that <laughs> have no interactive behavior at all. Yeah. Um the static string of html that came back in the http response to the user would be identical to what it would be if you had just used regular blade yeah views. you could you could even get rid of the javascript portion of liveware in it yeah it yeah would just work. gotcha yeah. okay so then what happens on the client um after the page first loads yeah so it it sort of scours the page and it looks for these components and each component has an ID that's like a UUID for, you know, the session. Yeah. And, and so LiveWire sort of tracks like, okay, here's a component. It puts it in memory in JavaScript. It's like, here's, here's a component on the page. Um, and there's another identifier, uh, the, the serialized component. <laughs> so, so when the component renders and it, 
on that first page render that, that, like I said, you can leave the JavaScript off. It's just a bunch of DOM. In the DOM with like a data attribute, I have the serialized version of your Livewire component. So there, there's a bunch of different like of ways. of the whole class? Like of the, the whole class. And does that include like the function definitions and stuff? Or is it just like the state, like enough to rehydrate a new instance on the server? So like conceptually, it could be anything. Uh, these are all things that depending on performance and other things. For now, I straight up use Laravel's encrypt helper. So it's encrypt, and then I pass in the component, and then yeah. the string I get out, I push into JavaScript. Yep. And you pass in like the instance of the class, like the I pass object in the straight itself. up instance, straight up. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Cool. S so that when you click, uh, when you click something like a button, it can send that serialized vert because there's no long running process with Ajax. Yes. So yes. you have to track that somehow. So I do that by serializing the component. And then when it clicks, the front end sends back the serialized version of your component and then it's instructions for it. Like, yeah. here's a serialized version of the button component. I need you to run toggle on it, re-render it, and pass the DOM back with the new serialized component. It's almost like a reducer function or something where you're like taking the server is like the API for the, the component on the server is really like give me like some initial state and then like some intent that you have for some action you want to perform. Yep. And I will return to you what the state would be you know, after that is done, like it totally. almost feels like Vuex ish in that sense, in some ways, like, uh, yeah, same, right. it's you know steps, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You're sending just like through an action and the data yeah. related to it. And yeah, that's pretty interesting. And because of that, you get crazy things like, um, like I forget the, the fancy term for this, but like, let's say you can nest live wire components. Let's say one fails and just breaks and somehow errors out. You can render the last known state of that. Or, I mean, you could do crazy things with, like, time-traveling back states, you know, because you have all these serialized components. Yeah, pretty interesting. Okay, so I'm trying to think if there's any, like, other weird things to kind of talk about that are problems <laughs> or, or things that I'm trying to understand. So we have this HTML sitting in. If you were to view source, you'd kind of see, like, what came back from your library component plus a bunch of sort of like ugly meta information sort of just like decorating it yeah. that it needs for its own thing conceptually on the front end there's like some point where livewire kind of like comes to life and scours the dom looking for things probably with some data attribute or something that like identifies hey this is livewire related this is livewire related whatever yep you're setting up a bunch of event listeners i guess at that point based on the weird little extra event listener tags that you've kind of created and is yep. that all happening client side like the 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 rendered html still contains like wire colon click yeah. or whatever yep. so you're just grabbing uh, all the dom nodes inside there and kind of traversing the tree and looking for any of these like special markers yep. and then you're just doing like a document dot add event listener on that particular node with like whatever that action is and yep um so then with what that action is i guess like every every single action is really like fire an ajax request is what the action actually totally ultimately is right and yeah. uh, so so every single event listener is essentially implemented via fire an ajax request containing the name of the action and the current state of the component yep. yeah, is there totally. anything else that event listeners can do or <laughs> i mean there's some some other 
uh, weird directives, um, like if you're if you want the state of that component to transition in or out, you know, like CSS transitions, or if you want to, like I'm working on wire loading so that you can hook into the loading state of some. So there's there's some ones that I have to listen for that are different, you know. But in general, you nailed it, and that's 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 pretty much it. Yeah, you have event listeners, and you just ajax that stuff off yeah and then every time the response comes back from the server the server is sending back okay so actually here's a question um with the ajax implementation at least and i don't know if like your plans are like this is the production version and maybe it is as long as like everything is works who cares yeah um, or maybe you still have to like nail the web socket thing if performance is a problem with ajax or whatever right um so there must be some endpoint that livewire i guess is like hosting for you in your php app some sort of like secret <laughs> endpoint or something right yeah um, yes yep so that kind of secret endpoint is backed by like the secret livewire controller i guess that's like yep porzio secret sauce the connection no handler.php yeah and um <laughs> That's what returns back to the client just the HTML created by the component itself. So unlike the first page render where you get like the full view with all the components kind of pre-rendered, now you're just getting like that isolated components rendered output. Yep. And then on the client, LiveWire is just saying, well, I know what the root element was. I'm just going to like basically remove that from the DOM and insert this one instead. And do you have to then like rip through the whole component again and set up all the event listeners and stuff i assume you have to because there might be some event listeners that just weren't even there the first time yeah so that's there's a bunch of different implementations you could do like the thing that you thought would happen is rip out all the dom and replace it like the turbo links just like clobber it all and replace it all yeah um that would be really easy i'm using i i started using morph dom a package that actually phoenix live view uses that's the package they use and it um it, it's more intelligent. It, it, it does DOM diffing and patching. So it'll take the difference of the two uh, HTML, the, the two markups, and then whatever's different, it'll either add stuff, update it, or remove elements. And then there's hooks for what's being added, removed, or updated. And then in those hooks, you can re-register listeners, tear down stuff. You can then provide hooks to the LiveWare users to hook into that stuff. Yeah. Gotcha. So are there weird things there where um, Morph DOM is not informing you that like this button doesn't need to be replaced because it was already there and we already have an event listener on that button so that event listener just like sticks around because there's no point in like cleaning up the old one and setting up a new one if you can just reuse it um but i guess you have to make sure that you're careful to set up these event listeners so that they're always respond or always making requests to the server with like the latest state and not like whatever state they captured like the first time or whatever that's one of the the many little like the concept like you've pretty much nailed the whole bare bones concept of of live wire but then the other 80 percent is all the weird things and that's one of them yeah is like what happens if a user just mashes that button sends 50 requests off one of them in the middle takes the longest to respond and then the thing that gets returned is like an old state. Oh, yeah, that's I wasn't even thinking about that. Oh, that's that awful. <laughs> There's tons yeah. of weirdness. Like uh, I've I've gone down some some real rabbit holes here. But basically, what I've done for now, so that I can move forward and not waste all my time on this, is a basic blocking bus. Yeah. So as soon as like you take any action in a component, like imagine yeah. a component has like four possible actions you can take. As yep. soon as you take any one of those all four actions are now like off the table until that action is completed because like otherwise what the hell 
how could you get any you useful yeah. result back? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. So right now it's a bus. Um, one of the the nice things, uh, LiveWire is all component uh, driven. It's it's the hard thing about it to program it, but um, because it's a component and each component is um, so the smaller components you the smaller the components are in LiveWire, the smaller that serialized state is, mm-hmm. and the more you can isolate those interactions. So you can always make a separate component for something, and it's in charge of its own universe. It doesn't know True. anything about other components. So yeah, so that's almost like a like one of those like best practices or like how to work around X problem that you might yeah. have to like put in the documentation. That if would you be, need to be yes. able to do two things at once. Make sure that you figure out how to separate those into two separate components because that's the only way to reliably like that's how you're basically like informing LiveWire that like you can update these separately or you can accept actions related to these things in parallel because totally yeah interesting just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors and that is Rollbar. So there are two major problems with relying on your users to submit bug reports to you when they find something broken in your app. Number one, you can't discover all bugs this way. And number two, some users don't even bother submitting bug reports. They just wait for you to fix it and if you don't, they just leave the service. Now the best software teams practice proactive error monitoring, which means you detect all the errors in your production apps and services in real time and then you can debug important errors in minutes or hours, often before your users even notice. Uh, teams from big companies you might have heard of like Twilio, CircleCI, Instacart, they use Rollbar to do this. With Rollbar, you get a real-time feed of all your errors so you know exactly what's broken in production and Rollbar automatically collects all the relevant data and metadata you need to debug those errors so you don't have to waste time sifting through logs. Debugging errors with Rollbar is crazy fast. You get the exact stack trace linked directly into your code base, the request parameters to easily reproduce the issue yourself, a data on which user is affected so you know if it's the same user repeating the same error again, what browser and operating system, basically everything you need all in one place. They also have this awesome telemetry feature that's kind of like getting a black box recorder after a crash but for errors. It shows you all the browser events leading up to that error. Uh, so if you aren't using Rollbar already, there's a special offer just for full stack radio listeners. If you head over to rollbar.com slash full stack radio, create an account and install Rollbar in your application, Rollbar will give you a $100 gift card that you can spend to support any of your favorite open source projects at Open Collective. So thanks to Rollbar for sponsoring the podcast this week. Back to the show. So what other like weird horrible crap have you run into that like no one else would ever expect because they're not the ones who have to try and build the thing yeah um okay one of the the weirder ones uh so on the is everything got crazy when it went component driven that that's when everything went nuts when you're dealing with these components and nesting them and like that dom tree traversal you're doing like i i had like a a dom tree walker i just pulled in so i could walk the dom and attach these listeners for the directives but um but because they're components i needed to like stop when i hit a component and not walk its its tree you know and then uh so each component could walk its own tree yeah um and there's really no at least what i found no like easy like pull in thing where you can just pass a callback that that says hey do you want to like not walk this child's node down so i wrote a dom tree walker and like spent a day <laughs> writing out like 
a flow chart of like, how do you walk a Dom tree and what are the recursions and what? So that, that was a solid day of me learning how to walk Dom tree nodes. Um, but a wacky one that I think is really fun. And I don't think I have the perfect solution, but I think it's pretty cool. Uh, so it's related to the components in blade. All right. So you have your, your root, root, uh, drop down button, drop down component. And then inside of it, you have, let's say, a simple component called like drop downs or something, right? So you have one big component called root drop down or whatever, button drop down. And then inside of it, you have another live wire component. So we're just nesting one component, right? And let's say that that, that component is in a VF, right? So sorry, not a VF, I'm back in view. Yeah, yeah. A, a yeah. normal blade if. So we're showing the drop down or we're not showing the drop down, right? On the front end, because live wire keeps every component separate from itself, when the root one renders for the second time, it can't re-render all its children because then it's, it doesn't have the serialized state of its children. Does that make sense? In some ways. I mean, what it makes me think about is like how you have to do things in view or react where it's like the parent does hold all the state for everything and the, right. the children depend on the state of the parent. Which in the front end is no problem. You can have a parent that depends on its children and all that jazz. But if you want to change a deeply nested child, right, on the front end and you change it, that's fine. When you, in LiveWire, when you kick uh, uh, the, the serialized object and the action back to the server, right, you don't want to pass in the whole world. Like you can't pass in the, you could, yeah. but... You don't want to pass in the you want every to pass serial as little as possible. Yeah, so you want to just pass in that child back to the back end to then change itself, right? Um, and so let's say that that you can you can fire events in in LiveWire. That's a story for another time. But so let's say that child fires an event to hide itself, right? And so it does that, and now the parents is open turns to false, and so the parent uh, doesn't doesn't render that. Um, Let's scratch this one. <laughs> we have to scratch it. The solution is that I had to hook into Laravel's blade caching and store a value in the, the blade cached view mm-hmm. as a unique ID so that the backend could track when it should delete something, when it should delete a child component. Because it doesn't, when it renders the child component, it doesn't know anything about the child. It's hard to explain. Yeah. But that's I good. I give it a go. That's all that matters. All that matters is that there's weird problems that are so complicated you can't even explain them. <laughs> I can't. I barely even remember how. And, yeah. that, and that's what people need to appreciate about trying to make something like this work. Oh, for man. Sure. Yeah. And there's many, many other. I tried a virtual DOM implementation mm-hmm. because I was hitting some some like roadblocks with the morph DOM stuff. So I spent the weekend re-implementing the LiveWire front end in a virtual DOM, a snap DOM, what Vue uses for yep. its virtual DOM. And uh, I got pretty far, um, but then hit some crazy roadblocks because when you're diffing DOM and you're shit, you know, where in JavaScript you have a virtual DOM representation in JSON that you can change. But here in this case, I have to like recreate the virtual DOM when I get stuff back from the server every action it's just crazy it's not meant to do it so i i tried really hard and i punted like two hours ago and went back to the other one so yeah we're Wild. in we're in that that the hole but um but there there there's light at the end of the tunnel and i think it's gonna be pretty clean cool man yeah. cool 
Um, yeah, I think that's probably maybe a good place to start like wrapping up the, uh, the deep technical dive anyways, because I think I have a pretty good idea about how it works and, you know, what it would look like to actually play with it. So I guess what I'm curious about now is what are kind of like your, your next steps with this? Do you have any sort of time frame in mind around when you're hoping to have other people be able to play with it? How can people kind of keep up with, you know, your progress on it stuff like that? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting one. So far I've been just keeping it to myself, no repository or anything. Um, pretty much so that I can flounder around on stuff and get the API right, not have to like go back and forth with people. Um, and the other thing I I don't really want to do, and I think this is in the Phoenix live view, like forums, this is sort of what people are talking about, about that Chris is doing it basically like, I don't want to, I don't want to release something that's super prototypey and breaks all the time. And then that's people's first introduction to it. Yeah. Um, and then they kind of, you know, discount it, but it's that balance between like, well, I could wait forever and people lose interest in it. Something, somebody makes something better, uh, whatever, who knows? So there's some balance I'm trying to reach between like perfection and, and, uh, and just not putting something out that's garbage. Um, so I feel like I'm approaching there. I started writing documentation to sort of like nail down exactly. I want to get the docs down perfectly before I put something out there. Yeah. It's like, here's what I want Liveware to be. And then I'll backfill whatever's not built that I put in the docs. And then I'll put it out there. And uh, my, my thought was I would put it out there in a repository that is a little bit hard to to install, like just kind of put like a just barrier of entry a barrier. in it yeah. just to just just so people like only the people who actually want to yeah. work on it and have the right mentality for that early stage yeah. stuff would work so like on it. No NPM package, no nope. nothing on yeah. packages, just like put a couple little tripwires along the way to make exactly. sure that the people who make it all the way to the end are not a. Uh, they're the sort of people who are going to expect it to be mostly broken and like yep. just want to help figure it out and not the people who are going to open issues and complain or <laughs> yep. stuff like that. So cool. th- that said, um, I guess I don't have a, a specific date. I would love, uh, you know, maybe a month or two to have something out there that people can play with. Um, but definitely by Laricon, I would want this to be something that people are using in their apps. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool, man. So what's the best yeah. way for people to sort of keep up with your progress on it and keep up with you in general? Yeah. So uh, following me on Twitter is definitely the the most uh, all-encompassing way to follow me. Um, but calebporzio.com, that's where I blog. And I've been doing these liveware updates where I like demo and tease stuff or just, you know, like video myself talking about it. Um and I did make a domain for this such occasion, if anybody wants to directly <laughs> hook into the, uh, the feed, um, LaravelLiveWire.com or Laravel-LiveWire.com. And uh, there's just like a stupid email signup form and I'll send you updates and you'll be the first to know when Laravel goes like alpha or, sorry, when LiveWire goes uh, alpha or, or drops, yeah. So there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Caleb Porzio. If you're interested in show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 110. Thanks to Rollbar and Cloudinary for sponsoring the podcast this week. And don't forget, if you want to pick up a Full Stack Radio t-shirt and sticker pack, tomorrow is the last day to do it. Uh, shirts.fullstackradio.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. <laughs>